Welcome into In This Corner with the Brian Campbell. This is the professional wrestling edition. Now me, I am handsome Nick Costos. And in order to preserve my handsome face, I'm getting the hell out of South Florida. Hurricane Irma is set to hit. I will be in New York this weekend. CBS flying me out to do some shows remotely for the NFL and college football and putting me up in, in a hotel, a swanky hotel in beautiful Midtown Manhattan, the site of many of my past conquests and ladies of New York. That means one thing. Handsome Nick is locked, cocked, and ready to unload at the Costos on Instagram. Follow me and like all my pictures because I am a petty, pathetic, insecure little man. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partners. You think I'm getting the hell out of the Dodge? This guy's got one foot out the door already. Can't wait to leave South Florida. And really, with a Category 5 hurricane coming, can you really blame him? He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. And as always, I am joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He is the icon. Let's go. He is the main event. Get some. He is the showstopper. My man. He is the whole effing show. One time. He is the bod that runs the pod. Stay hyped. He is the mast that guides the cast. Bring it. You know what his name is. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell him what's on the damn podcast. Pack it up, pack it in, and let me begin because it's time to jump up and around and get fired up after an incredible week of sports entertainment. Look, the audio invasion is upon us, fans, but the good news is that the ITC has already won the war. All you have to do is sit back and allow yourself to be seduced, not by Nicosto specifically, that may happen anyway, but be seduced by that one and only performance enhancing audio. We've got one hell of a big show for you today. As we look back at the week that was in WWE, we go sliding in them DMs with your questions and take a deep dive into the pay-per-view archives to relive Backlash 2003, Word Life Against the Beast. But now it's time to hand those keys back to the most passionate man in North America, a man who doesn't worry so much about swiping left or right as much as just making sure he swipes all night long. It's handsome. Nick Costos. And a fabulous intro, as always, from the cousin Yuri, the Victor Conti, the King Balco, the first of our performance-enhancing audio, the man whose name is on the marquee, the Brian Campbell. Guys, you know how we start every show. We do it with the main event. This is the main event! SmackDown Live was really damn good this week, and our main event comes from SmackDown Live. It's a two-part main event, one from SmackDown, one from Raw. And the Raw one was really awesome, so you know that the SmackDown portion had to be really great if we're going to lead with it. And dang it, it was Brian Campbell, Kevin Owens, Shane McMahon, awesome promo to start the show, and an awesome storyline developing throughout with Shane being suspended indefinitely for attacking Owens, for Owens mentioning his kids, and the reveal at the end that Mr. McMahon will be on SmackDown next week to sort it all out. Hot damn, that hit me in the old feel spot. 
Where do I even begin? Two words fired up. Look, there's so many things to unwrap here. Just the fact, guys, that SmackDown Live is back. I mean, we're coming off three hot weeks in a row of Monday Night Raw. We're really coming off two, three months of mailing in on the SmackDown side. Again, like the Silver King said, whether this is direct competition against the NFL, which is coming next week or not, you have to love what you're getting right now, normally, which is a dead time. Last fall, this was a dead time for WWE. Hey, Roger Goodell, you want to make this not a 16-17 week NFL season. You want to go the whole calendar year? I'll buy in because this was the kind of wrestling that makes me excited to do my job. Makes me excited to be a fan. Makes me get fired up and wake up early to record this podcast. Guys, this specific McMahon-Owens uh, feud. I was kind of into it, but this went from zero to awesome in like 6.2 seconds. Talk about a sustained build. This was like the anti-Brock Lesnar on Raw lately, where we get a little annoyed that he comes out and does a good opening segment, then dis- disappears from the rest of the three-hour show. What was this instead? It was little bits and pieces. It was a storyline that you had to watch the whole episode to take in the entire story. It's all about building to a reveal, attention to detail, all of the little things that get me so fired up. Did I love specifically the Shane and KO interaction? Yes. It kind of played up on the idea which we've seen on Raw lately, which is the Cena Reigns you know, rap battle or promo battle, which if you really think about it, It may be sort of a playoff of the success of the Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor four-day media tour that we saw in July, right? It was roll out the balls, let two really fun and smart guys on a microphone just insult each other one city stop after another. This kind of had elements of that, only this one, Shane KO, different from Cena Reigns, which we're going to get into soon, and I love that it was different, and I love where it's going. Nick, pull me off the ledge because I'm ready to swan dive right into the big bat of milk of Marknesia at this point. Oh, BC, not only am I not going to pull you off the ledge, but brother, I'm putting my Speedo on, and I'm diving into that vat of milk of Marknesia right with you. Man, This was really awesome, even given the Shane McMahon um, forgetting a line of his during that promo. And also, like, can we stop scripting promos? Can't we just send these guys to the ring and let them do their thing? Like, Shane actually forgot his line during the promo, and the crowd was so great. The crowd sensed it, because how could you not? All of a sudden, there's this uncomfortable silence, and the crowd starts chanting, Shane O'Mac, Shane O'Mac, allowing Shane a moment to collect his thoughts and get back on with the promo. So two weeks in a row, we've had someone maybe forget Reigns last week. Shane this week. Let's stop scripting the damn promos. One other note, this is why it's great that SmackDown's a two-hour show because you can do stuff, Brian, like you mentioned. You can have a storyline throughout a two-hour show. On an elongated three-hour show, it's more difficult to do that. But these are minor nitpicks that are neither here nor there as it concerns this awesome Shane Owens storyline on SmackDown live, Brian Campbell. Hot damn, it was Look, great. There was a moment in time there when I knew it got great. Not just that KO talked about the family and that you know sent Shane off to a point where he was past the point of professionalism, right? Like, he he jumped right in. The moment that got me was when they finally started connecting the dots to four more storylines. When Shane mentions, "Hey KO, you know you didn't really earn it on this brand uh, on Raw. You know you say you miss Raw, but you didn't earn it there. You want to know why? Because Triple H gave you the Universal Title last summer. And the reason why that got me going was because I was the one standing on the rooftop going, "Hey Raw, last year you blew it. You had Triple H hand the title to KO, and what happened next? Triple H disappeared from Raw for six months. Giant hole in." storyline that affected the whole show them bringing that back in and reintroducing it got me fired up for this reason this feud 
could end up being the beginning of the build toward a WrestleMania angle that I talk about on every podcast that lets me for the past 12 months. It's Shane versus Triple H with Vince either as the guest referee or Vince watching from ringside forced to make a decision about the future direction of the company. Do I go with my son, who's been you know a little bit of a prodigal son lately in terms of business, or do I go with my son-in-law, who's like the junior version of me and ready to take the keys? If this is the build toward that if Mr. McMahon's entrance into the storyline next week which by the way is going to make Tuesday night must see TV then this will get me so fired up I feel like guys the gap has opened for this to maybe become a reality I mean that's the match we all want the the question I have is is does WWE think that far ahead I mean they sometimes think one two three months and yeah Wrestlemania too but are they going to really stretch it that long where they're starting now in September? I about... mean, there was precedent set for that. Like that has sure. a number of occasions. Oh, sure. I'm just saying in this particular case, I don't know how much foresight they have. I think they're really worried about what's going on right now. But I hope that is the case. I hope you're 100 percent right. For me, the slow build didn't wasn't just Tuesday night, though, with this. It was the last four or five weeks. It really the last, I guess, three, four weeks with Shane McMahon getting involved in everything they've done. They've built up Owen's rage a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And now they took. McMahon, who didn't have any reason to be upset at Owens, and gave him the catalyst to make this eventual obvious Hell in a Cell match happen in about, you know, four or six weeks or whatever. Owens is so good, he doesn't need the title. This proved that again. And the last point, WWE proved with this feud that they can book outside of title pictures and outside of their biggest main event. The question is, why don't they do it more often, and why do they struggle to do it more often when this was so perfect, like you said, from start all the way to finish? It was like, why can't we have this every week? You made a great point, Adam. It was like, why can't it be like this? Right, Nick? Um, 100%. And we liked Raw and we liked SmackDown, so a good week for WWE. We'll get to Raw coming up in moments here, but a couple moments that I really, really loved from the KO Shane storyline on SmackDown Live. First off, you knew once he mentioned Shane's kids, that he was going to mention it again when Shane gave him the warning. And from that point on, for me, the entire promo became about when he was going to work in mentioning the kids again. And what a great vehicle to do that, no pun intended, than the helicopter crash saying that your family would be better off if you had died in that. Like, it's an insane thing to say, right? Like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's really, and you heard the crowd go, ooh, when he said it. Like, that was really, 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 really good stuff from Kevin Owens. And then when he references his kids and goes, and especially your kids. Now, Shane hits him a couple times. They go to the outside. Shane won't get off of him. Now, once Daniel Bryan came out and starts going to Shane, what are you doing? I think you know at that moment as a jaded wrestling fan, like where we're going with this, like Shane's going to face some disciplinary action. So when Daniel Bryan takes that phone call from the unnamed person, he goes, really, you want me to do it in the ring? I'm immediately thinking, okay, he's going to go and he's going to fire Shane. Like that's what's going to happen. He brings Shane out to the ring. He teases it and sets it up perfectly so that the crowd is chanting, no, no, no. And then they swerve you by not firing him, but by hitting him with the indefinite suspension. And I love stuff like that when you can take me, 34 years old, wrestling fan my entire life, and actually swerve me at the last second, which that did. So I really did appreciate that. And then at the end, the last part of the show, when Daniel Bryan's running through that rant and he goes, you know, we're, we're going to have someone address it this week. And he goes, what is it going to be his wife? You know that it's going to be Vince, right? We all knew it. And it didn't make it any less awesome when he actually said it. Even though you knew it was coming, it was still a legitimate 
markout moments. So several markouts, PC, for me in this KO Shane storyline. Just just superb stuff. And you just identified sort of the glue, the backbone of what made this all work, and it was Daniel Bryan. The disappointment in his face when he glared at Shane after they broke Shane apart from that brawl near the announce table really said it all. And then Daniel revealing sort of, hey, Shane, you were the one that talked me out of attacking Miz last year. You were the one that sort of said, hey, put the job in the company first, even though we're supposed to forget, right, that Shane also manhandled AJ and got his head put through a car window we're just going to forget that that happened. But you know I love when there's incomplete storyline, which I mentioned earlier with Triple H, and they reconnect it. There is potential here long term. Remember when Shane returned in 2016? Giant, huge pop. Incredible. Ahead of WrestleMania. And Vince mentioned the locked box, right? Which was the <laughs> incomplete storyline to why Shane originally left the company eight, nine years ago, right? Which is both a real-life storyline and one that they can play with in this. If this is an escalation of that. You know I'm going to mark out because long-term, guys, what do I really want from WWE? I want the feeling of real competition between Raw and SmackDown long-term, right? I want the shows to be different. I know SmackDown was different when they did the draft last year and last fall when they sort of re... You know, SmackDown had a new set. It had different camera angles. It was the wrestling show compared to Raw. But it's still, what, six, seven, eight months later? It was the same show again as Raw. It was just two hours for the most part. I want something massively different. And if we get through, through the idea of Shane saying, no, I want my stake in the company. Give me a show I can run and if they can somehow make SmackDown like completely different like we say man we wish there was NJPW elements we wish NXT had a bigger feel on the main roster we love that indie feel what if you made the blue brand a completely indie hardcore gritty wrestling feel show you put Shane on top of it I know I'm going way far ahead from what we saw in Shane and KO I'm just saying this was so good that it opens the door to the kind of possibilities long term that we can see that will reinvigorate the company and in order to reinvigorate the company you need power players like Shane and Vince to be involved in the storylines. That's why this rules right now. I have a comment and, and a question on this. I will start with the uh, with the question. Better unresolved storyline in wrestling history. The Shane McMahon lockbox or who is driving the Hummer in WCW? Which which one which one do we like better? Oh, that's that's uh, you when you're going to bring in WCW, you know, I'm always going to go with the classics, right? I mean, this is great. And uh, and my comments, you brought up NJPW. Just want to quickly note, Kenny Omega, get well soon. Omega dealing with a meniscus injury. He's not going to miss a tremendous amount of time. He should be back for their next big event. But Kenny Omega will be out for quite some time. We need Kenny Omega back. And quite frankly, I want New Japan Pro Wrestling back in my life. So I want to put a bow on the KO Shane talk here. And just to illustrate how good this was, if I gave you guys the opportunity right now, only pick one. If you could only watch Raw or SmackDown next week, which are you choosing? I'm choosing SmackDown because Vince raises the rent really outside of maybe Brock Lesnar, who's on that level. When he's gone for a while and some people are tired of Brock, I'm not. When Brock is gone for a while and you put the needle back in and you get him back in there, it matters. Vince is the only one in my mind that goes above that. When he comes back to TV, and look historically over the last year and a half, when he comes back, things get turned upside down. You remember when he returned during that Rain Sheamus feud at the end of 2015? Raw became magic for about three, four weeks. Of course it's the blue brand right now. For me, it's I really want to see Braun Strowman at this point as much as I possibly can. But considering there was no development really of that feud with Lesnar, there's no real reason for me to turn into Raw. So tune into Raw. So for me, it is SmackDown as well. Listen, you got Vinny K. Mac. I want to see Vinny K. Mac every single day of the week.
Yeah, it's, it's, it's tremendous. I can't wait for Vince McMahon next week on SmackDown, and I am with you guys here on that. If I can only watch one, I would have to watch SmackDown. But with that being said, as we move on to the second part of our double main event, Monday Night Raw, pretty, pretty, pretty good this week and highlighted for the second week in a row by a electric promo, Brian Campbell, between John Cena and Roman Reigns. Electric to say the least. Look, originally, I was like in real time a little bit down by this. I'm like, oh, they ran it out again. Only they didn't put the attention to detail in the writing. They didn't give these two guys the same ammunition to repeat the first week. Nick, you kind of said over text, I don't know if you remember this, Monday night, you said, hey, I just watched it again. I don't normally go back and rewatch. I ended up watching this promo again two, three, and four times to pick out little things. I got fired up all over again. I can say what I want, that the content wasn't that great, but the delivery was, and this was Roman Reigns' comeuppance. This was his comeback in the verbal war between these two, and I want it to stay a verbal war, like I mentioned last week, because it's building, it's stewing, it's awesome right now. I love that Roman came back and really had a mic drop moment, was able to tell Reigns off, tell Cena off, and kind of even the stakes in this. And Was there one specific thing that got you fired up more than the other, Nick? Um, you know, you referenced that I watched this a couple times. So the first time that I watched it on Monday, I left it saying, I feel like like it's it might be over for Roman Reigns, right? It might be over because I feel like it's almost like, a, I said this last week, almost like a sink or swim spot for him. Like, we're going to put you in the ring with John Cena, and we're going to see if you can raise your game to Cena's level. And I purposefully thought that it was done the first week last week so that they could set up Reigns to get his comeuppance this week. And the first time I watched it, I didn't think that he did. And then I went back and watched it again. And he won me over with that little bit of improvisational genius when he talked about when Cena was talking about zippers. Well, let's let's hear it. Let's let's hear that right now. For God's sake, you come out here with your zipper open. I busted it, actually. Big dog. Oh, I'm sorry. I was was just looking for your balls, but you ain't got none, so it's okay. You would be looking for those. You know Vinnie Mac had a big hand in that. You know he popped for that. And I know that Nick Costos is probably going to approach some ladies in a South Florida bar soon and just basically say, I popped it, big dog, and be done with it. But, like, it wasn't just that he said it. It was the way that he said it was so great. He goes, yeah, I popped it, big dog. And it's, like, awesome. Like, that was a great line from Roman Reigns. So I really came around on it where – I don't think Reigns got embarrassed, and I feel better about Reigns the second time watching it than I did when I originally watched it. And here's really my question. Like, Reigns is not The Rock, right? He's not Edge. He's not Chris Jericho. He's not Randy Orton even on the microphone. Like, he's not a guy that's going to be able to get in there and hang with John Cena. It's just not in his skill set. My question is, and I think this is going to really be how Roman Reigns ends up being defined here over the next six to nine months through WrestleMania. Does it matter? Does it matter that Roman Reigns can't hang with a John Cena on the microphone? Does it make a difference that he can't do that, given all the other stuff that he can do and the crowd reaction that he's already getting? No, because you know what he can do? He can deliver short, powerful sound bites 
and sell those sound bites because he's got an incredible look. He is a physical badass. Women love him with the long hair that, by the way, I've been backstage. He spends about 15 minutes spraying some substance from a bottle on it over and over and over again. No, Nick, he doesn't need to be The Rock. You know who he needs to be? Roman Reigns. And you know who he's been pretty awesome at being over the past full calendar year? Roman Reigns. Because I went back and saw ahead of the WWE draft last year when a lot of people were doing mock drafts at the time and saying, you know, what is the true value of these superstars? You know what? Roman Reigns wasn't in most people's top five or six at that moment, which is kind of preposterous one year ago at this time. Coming off that AJ Styles feud, which produced two really incredible pay-per-view matches, he was we were in such an anti-you're-being-forced-down-our-throat mode that I think right now, guys, we're obviously way past that, but we're really to the point now where it's like he is who he is. Let's love who he is. So I agree he doesn't need to be The Rock. Where I disagree with you is if you want him to be the face of your company and the the main eventer who can carry the product when Cena does either retire or becomes not just part-time but rare time where he's very, almost never on television, he needs to be better on the mic. And to his credit, I thought this last week or this past Monday was the best he's been on the mic because those moments, whether they were improv or whether they weren't, they were confidence building. He dropped these short, quick little lines. The crowd responded. Yeah, they had sexual innuendo, of course, and a crowd, male crowd always pop for stuff like that. But it was confident. You could see him. He, he responded twice to it. And his other lines were really good. And he kept up with Cena the entire promo. Cena wasn't as strong in that promo, so he was easier to keep up with. And that was probably done on purpose. Maybe they asked him to scale back a little bit. But look, if he's at all hanging with Cena in a promo battle, and you're talking about Cena along with The Miz, one and two in the company right now, and two of the best ever to do it on the mic, I mean, that's an improvement for Roman Reigns, and we already know he's great in the ring. So I'm buying on Roman Reigns. I'm buying on this feud when I really wasn't at the beginning, and as much as I loved that first promo, I thought the second promo this past week did more for Roman Reigns than the first one and did more for this feud than the first one. So that's a great point. It did do more for him, and I think you answered my original uh, question about what I didn't like. I thought the the material wasn't strong enough, but maybe the material, which was really basic if you think about it, was, you know, no, I have bigger balls. No, you do. I don't respect you. No, I don't respect you. Why don't we fight? Oh, John, you're, you know, you're all talk. Drop the mic. That's pretty basic in the end, but I guess in reality, that was set up that way so Roman could, could win this battle, and guess what? It worked. I also think, like, that's okay. Like, that's the story. Like, they don't like each other. They don't respect each other. So they fight. Like, that's generally how, how fights in real life start. So I, I, I kind of like that. So I have a question for both of you guys. I don't remember who it was. Which of you two, this is one of you guys, has been banging the drum for Heyman to join Roman Reigns? Who was that? It's the Silver King? Yeah. All right. All right. So you can't audio medium. Silver King raised his hand on Skype. <laughs> I saw that. I'm about to do something that I don't like to do, especially as it concerns the Silver King. I am going to admit that I was wrong, and I am going to give Silver King his just props here because the Silver King is right. Do you know how to ultimately fix Roman Reigns? The alarm's going off here. Wow. Sound siren. Handsome Nick admitted that he was wrong. Big dog. <laughs> the way to fix Roman Reigns, you want to have Roman Reigns not talk or only talk a little bit? You turn Reigns heel and you give him Paul Heyman at WrestleMania. And that's how you do it. The, the thing I always thought with that, when he was promoting the Samoan heritage and how much he respected them and all that, that's what I thought was going to happen. Like, it just made so much sense for them to go down that path again. That's going to be tough. But, I mean, he did it once. So there's a, 
you know, he's prefaced it before. Look at what we're doing. Enough with the victory lap, Silver King. I gave you your props. You, I, I already agreed with you. Look at what we're doing. We're getting fired up, guys, about them actually booking things for the future deeply, like intensely, and it's getting us fired up. I want to give Silver King one more credit before we end ever doing that again. He was the this first one. A big day for the Silver King. He huh? was loving the, it. He was the first one to point out that Cena's growing his hair long right now and that it's showing protrudely his his bald spot right now, which I didn't realize he had. That's why he was doing that short military cut the whole time. Wow, is that bald spot being being showcased right now. It is what it is, right? Another thing, bonus DM slide real quick from Scott Sanchez at Scott Sanch. He put an interesting point on the future here. He said, last week Cena told Reigns he's not an old bad hip like Taker. Like, right, I'm not the same thing as Taker. Is this all a setup for Taker Cena instead at Mania, meaning we probably assumed Cena's going to go away for a movie or a or TV show soon, and that's why they're doing this early. But is this really a tease to cash in Cena versus Reigns long-term down the road, like two years from now at Mania, and to set up Taker Cena at this year's Mania? Any, any fuel to what Scott Sanch is saying, Nick? I have to tell you, as you were talking just now, like, you got the zipper sound effect? Oh, yeah, I, like, I always got it. Like... Big dog, big dog for that. That may be like line, <laughs> like a big dog. Um, if we get lists, it, 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 it's so tough, right? Because part of me never wants to see the Undertaker wrestle again. Not because like I don't like the Undertaker, but like it's over, right? Like he's done physically, and like he put his gloves down in the ring at WrestleMania. Like it almost it cheapens it. But Nick, that wasn't the moment when it was over. This was the moment when it was over. And the ultimate thrill ride. <laughs> That was, your last that was the moment it was over. <laughs> Brilliantly done, Bri. Um, I've wanted to see Undertaker Cena for years. I was hoping that they were going to do it at 32 in Jerry World, a Cowboy Stadium. That would have been great. But listen, man, you, if you're telling me Undertaker Cena's on the table for WrestleMania, I'm not just in. I'm all in. Big dog. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Silver King, would you like that? Um, yeah, I'm kind of with you in that. And also I'm a little, you know, being selfish here. We were there. Like we saw the undertaker possibly retire live. And I'd like to say that I'd like to see, say that I saw the undertaker's last match right in front of me. We sat 20 rows from the ring. Um, so, you know, I kind of hope that was it, but like you said, I busted it big dog. If they do this for WrestleMania, oh, I gotta get this. I would take ready. John Cena undertaker any day, as long as John Cena does the job. Yeah, too much, too much penis innuendo right now. So I'm going to move on to one last question here about this. What would you guys say is the percent chance that the reason John Cena is growing out his hair is because Nikki Bella wants him to? Uh, I don't think he bends to her wishes or needs. You can you can come back at me and say, "Are you kidding oh, me?" Aaron the guys. Now, bro. It's a different. It's a different world now for uh, for Johnny Cena now that now that the ring's on the finger. Well, you could say, "Are you guys kidding me?" He's so whipped that he was forced to propose at WrestleMania. Like you could come back with that argument, even though I think he's he'll he'll job to that just for the business because he loves the business. No, I think no, it no. has to be related to a specific role in some show or film. No, I think it's purely the hair. I mean, I, like we, we, I never said this on the podcast, so thanks, BC, for giving me credit for a text conversation or whatever it was. But that bald spot is it's. It's protrude. It's like you can. It's so noticeable. You can see it from space at this point. And the only way to get around it is to grow that hair up out, up front. I don't have problems with it. Nick doesn't. BC, we got plenty of follicles in our heads right now. But John Cena is losing them, and that is one hundred percent the reason. So wait, he's growing it out to cover the bald spot. We know somebody famous, the WWE Hall of Famer, who's done that before. In fact, I've I might see ourselves booking a match down the road. If you lose, 
I get to shave your head. Uh, what do you think? No, too too far. And that was the voice of WWE Hall of Famer and the 45th president of the United States of America. I never thought I'd say that sentence. Uh, Donald J. Trump. And what better segue to get into there for Hero or Zero than the president of the United States, Donald Trump. You know this segment. It's the favorite segment of the crooked Russian judge, comrade Silver King. Maybe he'll be in a better mood, Brian Campbell, since we put him over. Both of us did just now. But it is now time for Hero or Zero. So here's what's awesome about this. We're all on Skype. You can't see us. Audio medium. Brian Campbell has been rocking out this entire show. He was just pantomiming playing the piano (laughs) while the Hero or Zero sound effect was playing. Brian Campbell fired up. And with that, take it away, Comrade Silver King. Question number one. We were treated, and I mean treated, to a Braun Strowman Big Show steel cage match on Monday night. No special consideration here, guys. The question's simple. Hero or Zero on Braun Strowman? Big show in a steel cage on Monday Night Raw, BC. Turned out to be a massive hero, but I have to say along the way to me it wasn't. I kind of had that soft reaction of, why are we going back to the well here? Like, I know Brock is off this week. Why are we going back to the well with Big Show? There's no feud. There's no rivalry here. But you know what? They stuck to that theme of the ring breaking the first time, that when you put these behemoths together, something will happen. I mean, there was attention to detail. They interviewed the ref, John Cohen, who took that famous dive out of the ring when they broke the ring the last time. And they got me in terms of the mark, you know, putting me in the mark zone here because when that match ended, and look, both guys sold out pretty darn good match. When that match ended, I sort of said, wow, You teased us there was going to be a big spot. You didn't give us a big spot. This is not a hero. This is a double reinforced ring for no reason in the steel cage. This is a zero. And of course, what happens? We get the spot through the cage with the big show. This was a hero because the big show, who, yes, looks like King Kong Bundy after he shaved his beard, and it's really weird right now, but the big show sold out extreme selling out to the point that he went through a cage wall to put Braun over. It was another moment on that Braun highlight reel that maybe it'll be mania, whatever the next big giant pay-per-view is that Braun's headlining. I don't know mercy now, but whenever the big one is and they put that highlight reel together of Braun's most violent moments, you'll add this to that. It was a hero. It was such a huge hero. And let's take a moment and Give some much-needed recognition to these two performers, The Big Show and Braun Strowman, because this is now three awesome Raw main events that they've put on in the last calendar year. And I'm going to hit this from a couple different angles. Number one, I thought they both did a great job in their promos before the match, especially Braun, who's so good on and so convincing on the microphone. Big Show showed you... He still got something too. Like I think, like we all agree, like it's probably like not probably it is past Paul White's prime, but he was fantastic on Monday night in this role and fantastic in this role of putting Braun Strowman over. And it kind of had me pining here. And 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 do this if you get the chance. Braun Strowman's Instagram account. It's his real name, Adam Sure. Its last name is spelled S C H E R R. It's Adam Sure ninety nine. And he had an Instagram post. It's a picture of him pinning the Big Show where he basically thanks Big Show for these matches that they've had, which I thought was pretty cool. And it really made me yearn for the halcyon days in professional wrestling where we really had true heavyweight versus heavyweight. That's what this was. And I think that smart fans, the IWC, has sort of 
gone away from that, right? Like we fell in love with the Shawn Michaels, the AJ Styles, now the Kenny Omegas, the smaller, shiftier, speedier wrestlers, right? Because a lot of these old guys back in the day, the big guys, whether it's Kevin Nash or others, Giant Gonzalez, not to single those two out, couldn't work worth a damn, right? And the matches wouldn't be good. What we've had are three great matches punctuated by this terrific steel cage match on Monday Night Raw. Awesome elbow drop off the top rope from the massive Paul White, the big show, which was really cool. A great, true heavyweight versus heavyweight match. This hit it out of the park for me on pretty much every level. It's as big a hero as I could possibly give. And one a note great to, job by both these guys. Great from you. And one note to put us over, if you go on Braun Strowman's Instagram account right now, you'll see a picture he posted of Nick and I interviewing him from the 2K18 red carpet two nights before SummerSlam, which the bonus podcast that we've been teasing for a while, the SummerSlam interviews will be coming out this week. So get ready. And, by, and by the way, we will, we're going to put the, like John Cena says, we tear down the fourth wall. We're going to record that tomorrow, BC. So we'll get that done tomorrow and we'll get that up as soon as possible. Look at these guys putting themselves over here. All right, look, Nick won that point because the, of the point he made about the heavyweights. It's a huge, really important point. The one thing neither of you said that I really have to mention, you if you watch this match again, when they do the superplex off the top rope, look into the caddy corner, the opposite corner. Referee John Cone, who you will remember, flew out of the ring the last time they did a superplex, is holding on to the bottom rope for dear life. It, it's such a great moment. They didn't really fully capture it on TV. It's in the corner. But it's to it's totally worth watching the entire match again just to see that. Like I said, B Nick gets the point. Moving on to number two. We're going to stick with the red show here. We saw the announcement of Sasha Banks getting her rematch with Alexa Bliss at No Mercy. But by the end of the show, Nia Jax and Emma were both added, and now it's a fatal four-way women's title match. Nick, we're starting with you, hero or zero, on this not being one-on-one, -on -one, but being a fatal four-way match. You know, it's it's sort of a combination of both, which is, I guess, not really the answer that you're looking for. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm going to give it more of a hero than a zero. I don't think that you can do Bliss Banks again at this point. After you did it at SummerSlam, and then you had the title change again um, eight days later on Monday Night Raw. So Nia Jax is someone that they've been pushing. So I like getting Nia Jax in the match, and I'm actually a fan of Emma. And I think Emma's done some pretty good work on the microphone. I like her backstage segments with Kurt Angle. And I think she's a pretty good performer that has not gotten the chance to shine. And I know what Brian's going to say. Right. I'm not going to steal your thunder here, Brian, because quite frankly, anyone would say this. And I considered saying it. It's lazy booking, right, to keep doing these fatal four way, fatal five way matches with the girls. It's as if to say, like, we don't know what to do. So all just get in the ring and perform. But I think it makes sense storyline wise. And I'm also a fan of Emma. So I will give this a hero. Surprise, surprise all around. You didn't take the words out of my mouth. And I surprisingly will agree with you. This is a slight hero. And the reason is because they didn't do what they should have done. They didn't stay down the road with the title around Sasha's waist after SummerSlam in a long feud with Sasha and Bliss, who have such great chemistry. Blah, blah, blah. And still, if you're not going to go down that road, if you're not going to do what you should have done and what we wanted you to do, you might as well make it interesting. And for those reasons, you said adding Nia and Emma do make this interesting. It allows you to put over Nia's strength, which they did well this week during that tag team match, which 
uh, activated this stipulation. Naya, it sets up the idea that we don't actually know who's coming out of this at, at uh, No Mercy. We thought it was going to be Sasha building a run. Well, it's not happening now. The belt's on Bliss. So this could be the opening for Naya to do it. Adding Emma just makes something more special. I know you're going to say, well, you ripped. All we did was have multi-women's matches on the blue brand. You want to know why? Because the booking on the blue brand and the women's side stunk, and it stunk for a long time. But Raw, it's been hit or miss, and right now this is kind of a small hit. I want to see where this goes, and I want to see Emma, who I'm not high on, at least get a chance to get out from under the shadow of the failed Emmalina experiment because shame on you, WWE, to build something up for weeks and weeks and weeks and actually send her out there for five seconds and then basically pull the plug in mid-motion and be like, yeah, we don't want to do this anymore. So she deserves something. This is a slight hero. So despite you both being wrong, it's asinine for kayfabe reasons because Sasha Banks lost the title and never got a rematch. Despite all that, Nick... You know what happens when you assume you lose a point in hero or zero. That one goes to BC. Number three, WWE has amped up its teasing. I'm going to let Silver King get away with that because he's having a good day. Go ahead, Silver King. And I'm also right. WWE has amped up its teasing of Ronda Rousey stepping in the squared circle, not just with her appearance and the square off on the Mae Young Classic, but with the stare down parking lot video, quote unquote, exclusive posted on WWE's Twitter account between the MMA four horsewomen and three of WWE's four horsewomen. BC, hero or zero on this tease and how you think it'll all play out. It should be a massive hero. It's Ronda Rousey coming to the WWE, which is what we want. It's four horsewomen versus four horsewomen, which is sort of like it sells itself. Just put it out there and make it happen. But this specific video is what I'm commenting on, and this specific video was unfortunately a zero. And I'm not saying that angrily. I'm saying that from a point of disappointment. I know that both Ronda... And Jessamine Duke and Marina Schaffer, who were by her side, Shayna Baszler was apparently in the you know in the locker room recovering from a match, are new to pro wrestling. I know it's not going to be perfect, but this little video was a lot of like giggling and like, oh no, now we have to be serious. So even though it was cool that Ronda dropped the pocketbook and got serious, she almost got a little too serious. While Charlotte's got a smirk on her face, it just didn't come off as believable. It came off for what it actually was, right? Like a tease for the future between people who don't really have any chemistry and we're hoping they do. Unfortunately, I got to give this specific video a zero. I want it to work long-term. It's going to make a lot of you know money and bring in viewers if it's done right. I hope it's done right because I like what Rousey can bring to this, but this was not good. See, this is a really interesting juxtaposition between the two personalities of handsome Nick Costos and the man whose name is on the marquee, the Brian Campbell, because usually I am the jaded fan and Brian Campbell is the relentless optimist, right? And I think we're sort of going back and forth here on this. We have a little bit of a role reversal because Brian just gave you the jaded fan answer, and I will give you the relentless optimist answer that, yeah, you might be right. Like, the chemistry might not have been there, and it might not have been, like, the best thing of all time. And Silver King was right to say in the question, the quote-unquote exclusive. It was a little hokey. It was obviously put on. Who the hell cares, though? Because it's Ronda Rousey in WWE. So for me, that fact, the cool factor of that superseded the fact that Brian, like you said, it wasn't that great. But to me, it didn't matter because the moment itself mattered. Ronda Rousey in this, the stare off was so good that it really made everything else irrelevant. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, Brian, when you had that amazing sit down interview with Triple H, that answer that he gave about Ronda Rousey and the way that she felt at WrestleMania a couple years ago, coming out and hearing the crowd, where in MMA, you tune the crowd out and in 
And in professional wrestling, it's all about the crowd and the rush that she got from that. It has been crystal clear since I heard that answer from Paul Levesque. Ronda Rousey is coming to WWE, and it's going to hit me in the feel spot when it actually finally happens. So you guys, you guys made this one really, really tough because, Nick, the point about Rousey and being in WWE and how exciting that is, 100% correct. But BC, they taped this. It wasn't live. They could have done it again, and it was not very good and was very amateurish. So unfortunately, Nick, BC gets the point, and he's up 2-1 heading into number four. Let me ask a question, Comrade Silver King, because here's the deal. Like, Ronda Rousey, Meryl Streep, like, she's never done this before. Like, what were you expecting from her? No, but they're taping it backstage in a parking lot. They can do 20 takes and come up with one a little bit better. Yeah, that's what give, you're going to do. You're going to tell and give her some. have Ronda no. Rousey do 20 takes of something backstage. That, that, that's really going to happen. And you give her some direction, and you try to make it better. They could have done a better job on it. It wasn't live. If that All same right, thing let, let was live. For you, as, sub, as someone who is, who is producing in the past, that's not what would have happened. But it's fine. You can give hey, Brian Campbell the point. Because comrade, comrade Silverstein knows what this podcast is called. In this Campbell podcast. So I'm fine with that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair All enough. Right. All right, guys. Number four here. For any WWE fans who just aren't connected to the internet or Twitter, Corey Graves was a surprise color commentator Tuesday night on SmackDown. Why? Because JBL left, and he's going to concentrate on some of his charitable efforts. Good for him. But he will remain with WWE in some limited capacity. Nick, hero or zero on Graves pulling double duty on Raw and SmackDown as opposed to WWE doing something different, maybe bringing Jerry the King Lawler back or whatever else? You know, I had always been a Corey Graves fan, but I never really appreciated him fully until I watched SmackDown Live on Tuesday night. He is the best color commentator in the business today, and I don't think it's particularly close. The way the the little things that he adds in to matches, the things that he adds in to promos, the sides that he takes where you might not expect him to like a particular promo or a particular wrestler, and he does. And then that'll happen vice versa, where Graves, who's more of a heel than a face, I think, as an announcer, will maybe side with the face sometimes. So he constantly throws, it keeps you guessing. And he's just terrific. And he's got a good rapport with Saxton. And they had one of those moments where he goes, give me a hallelujah. And Saxton came right back in with hallelujah. And I actually like Byron Saxton more than most. But let's be honest, Byron Saxton was lost in the shuffle a little bit on SmackDown, right? Which was basically the JBL show on commentary, right? But now with Graves involved, Graves gets Saxton involved. This is what he does. He gets Booker T involved on Raw. He turns it into a show within a show. That's how good he is, and that's what he's capable of doing. I am just a huge, unabashed fan of Corey Graves. The more Corey Graves, the better, and I think SmackDown is a better show for having Corey Graves on now than what it was JBL previously. Yeah, I mean, I, you might as well just give the point to Nick because how am I going to argue against this? Corey Graves, This, you know what this move said? This move said WWE. WWE was saying, we understand this guy is the best we have in the company, so let's put him on our two most important brands. That settles it right there. I will say as a side note, the loss of JBL will hurt. You know, the whole Moro fiasco, whatever happened, we don't really know notwithstanding. He improved a lot in the last three, four years, and he does heel announcer very, very well. He sells the company line without being annoying, but also can deliver and be a true heel when he needs to. I think that loss will really be felt, but man, you have to love Graves in this position and, you know, become friendly with him at events and talk to him and, you know, ask him behind the scenes, how much of that is you? Because you're the wittiest guy I've seen really since Jesse Ventura, and I'm not blowing smoke up your butt. I really like the work you do and Graves said look 80 to 90 percent that's me out there all the time you know sometimes you'll hear things in the air but that's me out there so congratulations to this guy he deserves it it's a hero 
Definitely a point for Nick, obviously. Guys, I'm just going to throw one quick question at you. Am I the only one who believes that he's a better fit on SmackDown than Raw? Not just that it's great that he's on both shows, but it's better that he's on SmackDown with Tom Phillips and with Byron Saxon. Do you guys agree? Well, I think you could say that from the perspective that Phillips and Saxton aren't as good as Cole and Booker T. So from that perspective, I think you're probably right. But I think that he's good enough that it doesn't make a difference. You put him on anything, it'll get better. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm just happy WWE is waking up and going, you know what, Otunga, not good. So let's get him off of there, right? That's like, that is the best victory in the end for people who really care about this stuff like us. Ain't that the truth. Almost stole the point from Nick there, but no, it goes to Nick 2-2 heading into number five. Despite being the newest member of 205 Live, it is Enzo Amore who emerged victorious following an incredible fatal five-way main event on Tuesday night to determine Neville's number one contender for that cruiserweight title. Uh, BC, hero or zero on Amore being so new to the show and getting this opportunity over your boy Cedric Alexander and others? This turned out to be a surprise hero, and I never saw it coming. Enzo Monday night on Raw hated it two snaps down like whatever you want to say like I'm like this guy's being pushed as a baby face but he's an obvious annoying heel and you know what happened to me Tuesday night and it just wasn't the fact that this fatal five-way was an incredible match and by the way I know a lot of you out there including Nick Costas doesn't watch 205 live watch this main event match because it was awesome but that notwithstanding you know what I realized it during a really good Amore backstage interview before this main event I realized that I hate Amenzo Mori these days so much, even though I loved him with Cass back in the launch last year. I hate him so much because WWE correctly has me trapped in the mark zone. I'm supposed to hate him. This is a slight and slow heel turn. That's why he's cheating to win every match. I woke up and realized you have me in the mark zone. You won. And you know what happened during this match? He perfectly acted like a heel. He stayed outside of the ring for the first half of the match, then sold perfectly during the middle, and then cheated to win in the end. You know why this rules? Because he's not as good of a wrestler as any of these guys. Because some of these 205 guys are the best wrestlers in the company. That TJ Perkins match I went nuts about from the CWC a couple weeks ago, he's one of the top five performers in the company, but they waste him on this show. Enzo can't compete with those guys, yet they set the storyline up perfectly where it would be believable that he could because he can talk his way into the position and because he can cheat to win. This whole scenario was a flip that I can only compare to the first Mike Tyson-Evander Holyfield match, one of my best favorite boxing matches of all time, where I entered a hardcore Tyson fan and I exited a lifelong Holyfield fan for different reasons, but it had the same feeling. I entered Tuesday night going, why am I watching Enzo? Why is he on Tuesday night? Why do I care? To coming out of there going, this is pretty awesome. So it's a full hero for me all the way. I did not watch the match on 205 Live, so I will say that. So I may lose the point just based on that, but I will add, I disagree, Bri, on what we saw from Enzo on Monday Night Raw, because I actually had my own personal 180 on Enzo on Monday night. Now, you know, you listen to this podcast. We have been crushing Enzo, and it's not really Enzo's fault that like they booked him that way. It was so stupid what they had done with Cass with Enzo and really had killed Enzo's character. But now if you're going to take a solo Enzo Amore. And you're going to turn him into a mouthpiece on Raw and 205 Live to get these guys over. Grand Metalik, right, is a guy who doesn't speak English, and he's calling him Pepper Jack now. I don't know if that's like, <laughs> going to get over. No, but seriously, like, this is a smart way to use him. Cedric Alexander, like, is great in the ring. We don't know if he can cut a promo. The fact that they don't have him speak in the time that he did speak on Raw, he whispered into Enzo's ear, shows you he probably can't talk. So if Enzo's going to be the mouthpiece to get these guys over with the fans on Raw, um, 
I really like it. So, like, I think this is the right spot for Enzo, and I kind of think that they, they they swerve me a little bit because I'm off the Enzo Amore hate train, and I'm on the uh, the Enzo love train right now. Because um, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's Amore. When you put over the cruiserweights like Enzo has done, that's Amore, and the whole thing gets an Amore for me. It's a hero. So Nick was wrong for not watching 205 Live. I don't even watch 205 Live, and it was I knew I had to watch this episode. It was that good. BC's point was perfect, and he gets the W. Again, Comrade Silver King, a little bit of biased officiating there. But as you said, Brian, what is the name, Brian, of this podcast that we do every single week that people seem to love, professional wrestling? The In This Campbell Podcast. It is the In This Campbell Podcast featuring the name, who the man who's on the flubbed again, the man who's on the marquee. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Part. That one I did purposefully. Hey, Junior. Yeah, I mean, this has been, it's been a rough week for me. We got a hurricane coming. Try and give me a break here. So good job by comrade Silver King and Hero or Zero. Congrats to Brian on the victory. And with that, Brian Campbell, we slide on into the old DMs. True story. I've sent like eight DMs already to girls in New York for my impending visit. That's neither here nor there. Story for another time. So let's dive right in with our buddy Mick Johnston at Mick underscore Johnston. He says, Bry, if you're booking the damn territory, who would you put into a faction? He wants names, a gimmick, and the first angle. I was going to get all new creative with you because that's what Mick wanted from me. I was going to create an all new Balor club with Gallows and Anderson and Big Cass. And they were going to have this long feud where they would first try to recruit AJ and do the Bullet Club thing over again. And then guess what? They'd turn on AJ and kick him out and it'd be NJPW all over again. Then I realized two things. WWE's not just going to do something that really worked in, in NJPW and just recycle the same thing. And number two, my idea on this podcast from a few months ago is still the best possible idea. Reboot the Four Horsemen, and here are your updated number uh, members. The Muscle is, guess what? The Revival, who look and act a lot like Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard purposely. They both come from North Carolina, which is Flair Country, right? Your third guy, Bobby Roode, because he looks and acts like a horseman. He's got the robes. He's got the body. He's got the swagger. He's also not a babyface, WWE, so let's get that right. You're, you can add Charlotte Flair to have a female, to have the connection to history there, but the key to making the Four Horsemen reboot work, you got to have a guy who can talk. You got to have a guy who can play the Flair role. And I know everybody listening right now is going, Campbell, don't say Dolph Ziggler. The answer is still Dolph Ziggler, who is pretty damn good as a superstar, but we know the storyline which played out this week on SmackDown Live that he can't get over that top, can't get people to realize how good he actually is both in the ring and on the mic. You make him the face of the new Four Horsemen. He certainly got the body, the look, the hair, the swagger, the voice. It is going to be money. People love nostalgia. People love things that will work. People love bad guys who can talk. People love this idea once they soak it all in and bite it and, and lick it and just get a full-on Costos-like feel on this. Come on. You know, you fired up for this, Nick? I'm spitting all over the place. I'm fired up. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I certainly love to bite and lick. Um, I want to start with the Ziggler re-debut before I give my own answer to this question. I didn't love it. Didn't love it on Tuesday night. And I really liked his promos the previous two weeks that ended with, Next week, I'm going to give it. And I was kind of hoping that that would continue. He would do that for a little bit longer. I didn't love him coming, like coming out to his own music, then coming back and doing Cena and coming back and doing Naomi. Hated and, it. And, and I, I didn't love it. So 
I don't, I don't know. That that didn't do it for me, Bri. Like, it was just, awkward. Just like, long-term, if you're setting up something great, that's great. But we have no reason to believe, because when he heel-turned last winter, you know what happened? He was jobbing to Kalisto three weeks later, so I have no reason to believe this is going to work. Seeing him put on the, the Naomi hair, it was just like a, I wanted to get as far away from that as possible, because I actually love and respect Dolph Ziggler and want him to be doing something that matters. Silver King, how'd you like the Ziggler re-debut? So I didn't love it either, but I did really like it. The key is what you guys said, not continuing to do it. If he wants to do it one more week, fine. But the character has to advance. I'm glad that he juked out the crowd and said, hey, I'm going to re-debut. And then he did what he basically alluded to for the last two weeks. So I'm glad it's out of the system. I enjoyed it. I thought the Naomi part was actually pretty funny, especially for how much BC hates Naomi and hates her entire gimmick. Um, But I liked it. And I liked Dolph Ziggler. You guys know that. I thought he was really good on the mic. It gave him a reason to be on the mic and talk and rant and rave and whatever. I want to see him with this new kind of pissed off gimmick in the ring wrestling and being a heel and beating some people down. All right. Now to my answer here on the, the faction. I have not given this a ton of thought, and I don't think, quite frankly, it needs a ton of thought. Here's what you do. At some point, you bring AJ Styles to Monday Night Raw. You trade someone from Raw to SmackDown to make up for the star gap there. And you put AJ Styles with Gallows, Anderson, and Finn Balor, and you call them the club. How easy is that? How good would that be? Yeah, is, in theory. This is where you guys tell me how, how, how good I I mean, in theory, it's great. I just, it feels like it, they know it's what we want, so we won't get it. It feels like it's that easy. I agree. Um, it feels like they've ruined it almost with Balor Club. Like, it's almost, they, they took the name, they said, all right, this is where it's going to go, and they're like, that's it. We're not going to do anything with not it. Not to it's mention that they, they soft-launched the club with Gallows and Anderson when they were by AJ's side in 2016, you know, and they helped him, they helped turn him heel, but then it just dissipated. And they're obviously making Gallows and Anderson job every possible week they can, so I don't have any hope. I'd love it. I'd love it, Nick. I'd love it. And our guy, Mick Johnston, he is an Australian. Good day, mate, to you and yours. And he says we are really popular in Australia. And, like, we do notice that. We get a lot of fan reaction from Australia. So we really do appreciate all our fans from down under. Mick, you and everybody else, thank you guys very much. He wants us to take a tour. Do you see that? He wants us to take a trip down under. Yeah, you know, I I mean, listen, listen, let's 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 have the hurricane not completely devastate and wipe out our offices here in South Florida. And then maybe we can talk about a trip to Australia. We may end up up there. Is Max B at You Can't See Me 4214 asks, what is your favorite non-wrestling show on the WWE Network? I'm an old school mark out. So the show, which hasn't been in filming in like four or five years. And and when you can find the episodes on the network, you're finding them from back when it used to be WWE on demand. Right. Remember before the network, you can pay some money on your cable company and get that service. It's called WWE Legends of WrestleMania. You know, that roundtable panel. It was basically Jim Ross, Ric Flair, Kevin Nash. uh, It was terrific. Yes, that was terrific. There's about 15, 20 episodes maybe out there that go really deep dives into history. There's episodes on the 70s, episodes on the Hart family in Calgary. I mean, it goes really deep, even just, you know, basic episodes on WrestleMania history and stuff. It's shoot. It's basically those grimy internet shoot interviews in like hotel rooms that kind of feel like quasi porn when you watch them. It's like your favorite wrestler sitting down for 500 bucks in some smelly guy's room with some banner behind him telling, you know, kind of half lie stories while he's drinking cans of beer. It kind of is a professional version of that. And they're smoking cigars while it's happening. And it's really smart people like Taz and DDP and all these guys telling great stories. I'd like to see that in reboot form and maybe update a little bit. And I regularly go back and watch those. I think they're great. There's not one episode of Table for Three that I haven't wanted to be longer than it was when I was watching. There are so many incredible uh, pairings, I guess, you know, of three people groupings. Um 
that they do on that show. I mean, one was with Corey Graves, Lita, and uh, what's her name? Renee Young. Like, I didn't expect to even enjoy that one. I thought it was fantastic. They've done WCW guys, DDP with Scott Hall and X-Pac. You know what? Every single episode is really good. And it gives you just a little bit inside the business. You want more. You wish it wasn't on WWE Network so you could really get the stuff that you want to know from these guys. But every episode is really good. And they they group them really well together. And Adam, you got to watch that Daniel Bryan one with... uh with uh, Feed Me More, with, with our guy. Did you see that one where Daniel Ryback? Bryan's telling Ryback road stories and embarrassing him to his face? That's a must-watch on Table for Three. It's one of the first I'm not ones sure, did. I'm not sure I've gotten there yet, but I will tell you, Ride Along's a decent show as well, and there's one with Daniel Bryan and James Ellsworth that is hysterical. I am a Table for Three fan. That was going to be my answer. And, Bry, I think that's really like the reboot that you've seen. It's not as good as the one that you were talking about. I forget the name of it, exactly what it was. But I have seen a lot of them as well. Table for Three is excellent. Whenever they promote it, hey, it's coming up on the network after Raw, I'll usually flip over and watch it. So I love Table for Three as well. Max B., we appreciate the question. Final question this week in the old DMs, courtesy of Nick Flynn. Hey, buddy, you got a great first name at nflynn underscore 17. He's been watching the network, watching some old pay-per-views from the decade of the 2000s, and he misses the different and unique sets and stage designs for all the different pay-per-views and wants to know what is our favorite set design slash stage used by WWE. This is a great question, and it brings up a great point that I've kind of quasi-made before, that WWE should do more of this to differentiate from the pay-per-views to the regular shows so you instantly know. Like, if you instantly see Bash at the Beach with sand on the ground, you know it's a big event. My answer is sometimes things are so cheesy that they're great. And for me, WCW Hogwild and WCW Roadwild, especially when they did it at Sturgis, was great television no, for me. It was awful. I, I, the, it was... I'm not saying the matches and the cards were always great, but it was a feeling maybe I, I grew up in the motorcycle community, my dad's a big-time rider. I've gone to these type of rallies, these type of Sturgis-type events. These kind of were my people growing up. It felt at home. I liked that the, the announcers would get dressed up in it. I liked that outdoor feeling with people on Harley-Davidson's, you know, a couple hundred feet from the ring watching in. To me, I pop for that, all right? But I'm old-school WCW. I might be a little bit old-school dirtbag, too. That's up for you to debate. I would say you're more new school dirtbag than old school dirtbag. And you know what was really great when added to the ambiance? You'd have like a great match going on with the cruiserweights and you'd have these. I'm going to really get myself in trouble with the biker community. So I'm just going to shut the hell up and move on with my answer here. But I was not a fan of Hog or Road Wild, which was essentially a vanity project for Eric Bischoff, who liked riding motorcycles. So he forced everyone to go to freaking North or South, whatever the hell it is, North or South Dakota for uh, for Road and Hog Wild, which were awful, awful events. Brian Campbell, terrible events. Was that Jay Leno? Um, Jay Leno was at one of those, right? That was the, the infamous yes. Jay Leno match. It was all yeah. the celebrities. It was like Carl Malone was at one of them. Like Jay Leno, oh, Dennis Rodman. That stretch Not, sucked, um, yeah. My favorite set, and like the match is really funny. And it's not technically the 2000s. Your answer wasn't either. So I think it's fine. You said, what's your favorite of all time? 1999, December, the pay-per-view, Armageddon, leading up to what we thought was going to be a disaster, Y2K. So they called it. Armageddon in December 99. The main event was a Noah Holds Barred street fight between Vincent Kennedy McMahon and Triple H. Now, this was after Triple H's heel turn. He gets married to Stephanie. Stephanie turns heel. Vince is fighting for his fan. Vince is the face. And Triple H beats the hell out of him the entire match. And the props that they used, they had like broke, it was like a post-apocalyptic deal. So they had like like like, like a broken down car, like a, like a tank of some kind, like all of like these pieces of machinery that Triple H used and threw Vince into before bringing him back into the ring and winning the match. Armageddon 1999, my all-time favorite set design. 
actually have three answers. The coolest set, in my opinion, just straight coolest, is Tribute to the Troops when they were in the Middle East. I always thought that was awesome, seeing the troops all around. You saw they put the tank in there. They had all that mesh and all that stuff around the, the camouflage. I loved that. I thought that was the coolest. Then I had to break a tie between my two favorites here. Number Coming in number two, 2009 Tables, Ladders, and Chairs. They had full-size tables, ladders, and chairs hanging from the ceiling, like dozens of them surrounding the set that people had to walk out. And there were times during that pay-per-view where they got thrown into them, and there's like 12 tables on a string that are waving back and forth. I thought that was cool. The winner, WrestleMania 33, the one we were just at. They had an entire ring above the main ring, and they had a roller coaster, basically, as the main set. It was awesome. It looked cool both in daylight and at night. And they even had that huge ramp where The Undertaker rose out from the middle of it. I don't think there's a better answer than that. They killed the set design at WrestleMania 33. Good for them. Look at this guy, Undertaker Jr., popping for the ultimate thrill ride, you know? Give him the green light. I know that WrestleMania really counts. I almost want to make you give a better answer, Silver King. 2009 TLC then. 2009 TLC. Okay, that that we can roll with. So want to give a shout-out to the listeners who have stepped up the DM game since that disgraceful disastrous performance a couple weeks ago. Keep the DMs coming at B Campbell CBS at the Costos at Silverstein Adam hashtag in this corner. And you can follow me on Instagram at the Costos because I need your validation to get through the day and to help me sleep at night. Now, Bri, out of all the sound effects that we have for the show, the one you're about to play, it's my absolute favorite. It's the one that takes us in to pay-per-view rewind. All right, so let's break the fourth wall again, because this is too funny not to mention. So we play the same sound effects every week, yet Brian looks completely and utterly surprised every time when it's time to play them, which is why you hear me do like, it is time for the main. Because <laughs> I see Brian struggling to try and find the proper sound effect to play on Skype. And then he'll usually give me like a nod, which says he's ready, and then I'll close it out. So so that was Brian almost lost that one again. But full props to you for getting it in time, because we do love that music for Pay-Per-View Rewind. So without further ado, Silver King, it was your choice this week. You had a pretty good one. Take us through it and why you made the selection. Sure. So... 2003 WWE Backlash, uh, not the main event. In fact, I think it was the fourth to last match on the card, which if you think about it now is ridiculous. But Brock Lesnar defended the WWE title against John Cena. This is John Cena, doctor of thugonomics era, John Cena. I believe it was his first WWE title match at all. It was definitely his first on pay-per-view. And the reason I chose it was I wanted to, and, and you guys will give me your opinions, and I really want to know what you have to say. But the difference in both wrestlers between then, 2003, and nearly 15 years later now, in 2017, to me, it was absolutely drastic and shocking to see what happened in that match and what happened recently in their match and what they do in their normal matches today. So, BC, talk to me about this match. What did you think? Holy crap. Like, you met, you nailed the, the biggest point. It's just the eye-opening, like, wow, the, how it used to be, how Brock and Cena specifically. I mean, someone has to say it. It's so weird seeing younger Brock without that giant dong tattoo on his chest. We got to be really honest about that. It's so weird, but it's obvious. Big dog. Big dog. It's <laughs> even weirder to see John Cena as a wannabe gangster heel. And it's not like I didn't know that era happened, but I got to, like, be honest. We all have blind spots as fans in eras where we weren't watching 
either at all or only for the big events, this is a massive dead era for me. April 27th, 2003. I can almost take you back to where I was and where I was sitting. I'm probably talking to Samson at an epidemic rate, going to jam band concerts and eat, living off fast food in NHL 94 tournaments on Sega Genesis. Like, that's my life at that point. Watching Word Life really wasn't part of my life. So to go back and see this, it's like, wow, heel young Cena is like a darker version of Enzo Amore. Like, it's really like you can see that connection. He comes out in Worcester, Mass., you know, in his home state, near his hometown, wearing a Roger Clemens Yankees jersey and a do-rag. And it's like, it's so friggin' eye-opening. Two great signs that you saw. Ice Ice Cena and John Cena is a white trash rapper. Both were absolutely fantastic. I gotta play you just real quick a couple sound bites here that, like, you know it's 2003 not just because there's a great blade job, not just because it's gritty. It's because Cena is allowed to say some of these things that now are just so foreign. I mean, that's great. That moves you. But then he cuts this weird rap promo on Cactus Jack on the way to the ring. I lost my mind like mankind pulling socks from his ass crack. I'm straight. Your dude loves soak it off the Cactus Jack. I, I love it. That's not love PC it. in 2017. And then, you know, he's got two words for us. You don't like what I'm saying? Well, you can suck my Actually, three words. He goes big dog style on us. I just want to say those were obviously moments where you're like, wow, we are in a different era. But I want to close my early rant by saying this pay-per-view, I had some free time this weekend. I had some red wine and I sat back and watched the entire show. I didn't just pay-per-view rewind this match. This card one month after WrestleMania. Holy crap. So much happened on one damn card. Roddy Roddy Piper did a blade job after a Sean O'Hare Rikishi match. I know this is 2003 and that's par for the course, but I popped huge. Big Show puts Rey Mysterio on a stretcher and bangs him into the ring post and he falls face first. A very famous spot we've all seen. This is the Rock Goldberg payoff from that first night after WrestleMania. But even more than that, you know what my biggest feel spot pop was? Stacey Keebler attacks Tori Wilson in the women's locker room because she finds out Tori kissed Test. In the middle of their brawl, a female wrestler dressed only in a towel comes out of the shower and drops a cat into the middle of the cat fight this is like bizarre theater i'm popping huge over here you know so so what what do you want me to talk are we just talking about like the match like like, like what do you want me to because there's so much crap to get I just, all of it like, uh, yeah it's all, i just right. filled the ring with you know with look at all of this crap in this ring i mean just pick pick it apart whatever you want all right so like you, Bri, this was a dead spot for me in my fandom. Like, I knew what was going on, but I'm, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. When I was in high school, 1997 to 2001, and before high school too, but high school is my attitude era, right? 96 and 97 um, September was my first semester or trimester of high school. So I was so huge into it. Now, remember, at the time, Raw was on the USA Network, which it still is now. When I went to college in 2001, I went to Fordham in the Bronx, and I, and I lived there. Raw moved from the USA Network, remember, to TNN, which later became Spike TV at the time called TNN. The cable provider at Fordham, where I went to school, did not get TNN. So as a result, 
I, I couldn't watch Raw. And like I, at that point, I had discovered drinking really and like maybe started talking to Samson at that point. So it had been it was less important for me to watch wrestling every week. So it was sort of a dead spot for me because of that, because Fordham did not get TNN. They got the USA Network. Raw was no longer on the USA Network. So a dead spot for me. I want to take umbrage, Brian, with something you said. Cena as a wannabe gangster heel, a wannabe heel. Let's just take the word wannabe out of that sentence. He was really, really, really good in that role. And what it makes you think, right, is that what we've seen the last two weeks, Cena and Reigns, what we saw in the Cena rock promo, when Cena comes out with venom, with bile, with invective, he is as vicious and cutting a verbal artiste on the microphone as anyone in the history of the business. So if John Cena ever turned heel, that should give you a glimpse and a glimmer of what he could potentially be. He doesn't need to do the raps. He can just come out and verbally eviscerate people. And you heard a little bit of what Brian played for you to show you the breadth, the, the wide swath of what Cena is able to cover verbally. I think that would be great. There were a couple really cool things watching in 2017, back in 2003, like foreshadowing, where they kept hitting in the pre-match promo, Cena going, I'm going to be a name that you remember. I'm a future WWE champion. Fast forward 14 years later, and he's arguably the biggest, if not the biggest, the second, third, or fourth biggest star in the history of the sport and a lock face to be on WWE's Mount Rushmore. The match itself, we'll get into the actual match itself. I don't have to talk about that. It wasn't great. What do you expect from these two? But just as a pure spectacle, and really, for me, it was more so Cena than Brock because Brock was basically played the same character his whole career. This was eye-opening for me, and I actually think... I can't believe I'm going to do it again. I'm going to give the Silver King some credit. I actually think that this was my favorite pick so far out of all the pay-per-view rewind matches because of that factor, the John Cena factor, seeing him in 2003, knowing where he now is in 2017. So people don't just want Cena to be healed because they're bored and they want something different. They want him to be healed because he was good and this era tells us why. Just like both of you, my dead spot in wrestling, I was a freshman at UF, the University of Florida in 2002. I stopped watching freshman year through the end of college, so I never saw this live. What I've done, I've mentioned it on the podcast here multiple times, I've recently been trying to fill in that gap, and I'm right now in early 2004, so I watched this about six, nine months ago, and I was like, wow, Backlash, that was really good. Um, Was it Backlash? Yeah, yeah. Really, really good. Your pick's um, I yeah, know. no, I forgot which uh, pay-per-view it was for some reason. Um, well, good job mentioning six, nine months. Nice. So it wasn't just Cena being so good on the mic that had me, you know, interested in this and, and everything he did. And I know we're going to get into talking about the match in a minute, but Brock Lesnar in this match actually wrestles. Like they talk about how he's sound in the ring and they remark, no one should try to out wrestle Lesnar. John Cena won't be able to out wrestle him. And it shows you what Brock Lesnar used to actually do in the ring. He trained to be a wrestler and he had an amateur wrestling background and was really good at it and shows you what he does now, which is he doesn't really train. He powers his way through it and he just suplexes a bunch. He did a blade job. It got all over Cena. Um, and it's remarkable also because Cena was awful in the ring in this match and he's so good now. People hated Cena. You can't. He can't wrestle, whatever. Cena can wrestle and he's awesome right now. So the dichotomy of this match versus what you would see if these two fought today is so drastic. And that's really why I chose this match. Yeah, great point on, by the way, early Brock. Like he, you know, if he didn't get into the trouble of getting caught in the cycle of the travel and the painkillers and all that, he could have been the evolution of like a new school Hulk Hogan, only 
I say evolution because he would have really been able to wrestle along with being the, that incredible look, right? That guy in the modern era that nobody else is that big, but look at the way he moves. Look at his charisma. I mean, his career obviously came back around and we saw an incredible, we're seeing an incredible version of Brock Lesnar today, but it does tease you into what if he didn't go away to the NFL and to the UFC? What if he stayed in this business the whole run? Who would he have been during those prime years, which we lost, Nick? It's pretty interesting. It's very interesting. And it, it, again, a great pick by Silver King. As for the match itself, it wasn't great. What are you expecting from 2003? He was not yet big match, John, at this point. There was actually an extended rest hold in this match where Cena had had Brock in a chin lock. And like it was like it went on for like like probably 75 seconds. Like the match wasn't great. But to go. B- so I feel like if you watch it live in the moment, you're like, that wasn't so good. But to go back and watch it now was a very interesting case study. So. Yeah, I, I give it like, are we giving our star ratings now? Is that cool? Like I would give it two stars maybe, but like for my like enjoyment level watching that match, it was like four and a half stars. Well, I think you have to, you, know now. you have to factor your enjoyment level into the rating. And that's where I take umbrage with the Meltzer system at times. Meltzer gives this match one and a quarter stars in the end. I don't think you could have, how is this one and a quarter stars? That rest hold situation, I was actually enthralled because I'm like, is Cena going to pull this off? Lesnar's dripping blood in his arms. He's the champion. Cena's this upstart. That was a moment I should have been looking at my watch or going to my cell phone, and I was actually enthralled at this point going back in time. The match certainly had its limitations, but it was gritty. It felt like an MMA match at times, and I was never bored throughout. And guess what? Something huge was at stake. I'm going to give it three and a quarter stars. I downgraded because Lesnar sort of hulked up at a time when Cena had been going on such a long run that it felt anticlimactic to me despite the grit of this match, to see it sort of end like that out of nowhere. And I did love, by the way, Cena's low blow, you know, late on the referee distraction. But my point on the Meltzer rating is he gives it 1.25 because there wasn't a lot of good wrestling in it. But he also gives Andre Hogan from WrestleMania 3 minus four stars. I know that match better than anybody. I know it was kick, punch, rest hold, kick, punch, rest hold. But you know what that match also had? Holy crap drama and captured something that you can't fake or replicate. That has to factor into the star rating. That's just my personal take. Hogan Andre has to be three stars because of the drama and the feeling. This match had higher levels of drama and feeling for me above one and a quarter stars. I'm going to give it 3.25 and be happy with that. Yeah, I meet right in the middle. You know, I think it's a 2.5 star match. I think it's saying it's an average match when you consider the quality of the wrestling, what was at stake, uh, who was in the match. It was fourth on the card, and I think it performed just fine for being fourth to last on that backlash card in 2003. So I think a 2.5 star rating is totally, totally fair. Now, if you're comparing it with the other matches on the card, I can see where Dave may have said, oh, man, this did not live up to some of these other ones, one and a quarter, but I liked it. It was it was average. I want to give one extra shout out. That duo of uh, Jonathan Coachman and Jerry Lawler, who did the commentary for the early matches, really surprised me. And I forgot how good they were as a pairing. Like, I would have hoped that they went the distance on that show. Taz and Michael Cole were fine. I'm a big Taz mark on the microphone. But Jerry Lawler and Coach were really good in that pairing. And that kind of that was something that caught me off guard in the show. So this was a really good choice from the Silver King. And Bry, with Silver King's choice in the books, that means we move on to listener's choice for our next pay-per-view rewind. What do we got coming up for next week? You know, we got some really good suggestions. And the best one that really made me pop was from Michael Cunningham at PSK102. Michael wants us to watch 1997 Halloween Havoc. Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Eddie Guerrero for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship in a title versus mask match for next week. Have you guys seen this match? Because I have. 
I know I have, but certainly the sequence and how it breaks down and even who won is not, I don't know who won, of course, but even like, you know, how we get to the finish is not on the front of my mind. So I'm really excited to, to see it play out. It, it sounds like a match I should have and did see, but I cannot recall it at all. So I think I'm going in blind. All you have to know is Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero in 1997. Obviously, the match is terrific. It will hit us in the feel spot when we watch it. And what better way to end the show than with our feel spots for this week? Do we have a sound effect for this or no, Brian? No, I can't we don't. I'm, I'm going to the soundboard frantically. I mean, I, you know. I know. Just... I saw you go for it. I was like, do we have sound for this? I couldn't Big remember. Dog. A lot of fourth wall breaking down on the show today. We're really enjoying it. I'm wearing a purple shirt if anyone gives a damn. You don't, so let's move on. <laughs> I, got, I got the Hideo Tommy t-shirt on, but that's the rest of no, but you got to sit a little further back. Like last week, I could see the Bo Dallas, so I could reference it. All I see is like the red line at the top of your shirt. Now I see the Hideo Otami shirt. That's awful. Um, so let's just move on. Yeah, that's your too field. much fourth walling. Let's get out of here. Go ahead. Your four, what's your feel spot? Brian? Look, uh, we, we record this, of course, on Wednesdays. We're talking about last week's NXT. I popped because that show was the first one, first new one since the NXT takeover in Brooklyn when the card ended with Drew McIntyre winning the championship from Bobby Roode and the former tag team known as Red Dragon from Ring of Honor, which, of course, is Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, and they, of course, had Adam Cole with them making his NXT debut when they ran in and beat him up. You, I watched that NXT episode last week, the whole episode, waiting to see Cole and Red Dragon appear. How are they going to escalate this? Up until the final minute, they did not show up, and I was like, wow, what a waste of time. And what happens? Drew McIntyre comes out of the main event, stands on the stage and lifts up his title, and here comes Adam Cole and Red Dragon to attack, and Cole ddt Drew McIntyre on the stage, and it was like a spike DDT, and it was vicious, and it was awesome. And guys, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison to Hall and Nash, the Outsiders, WCW, but Cole and Red Dragon and the Ring of Honor crew, which now also includes Donovan Dijon, Jack, who just signed, along with Leo Rush. I don't know if they're all going to be paired together, but this feels like some form of an invasion, and it's the best thing that can happen to NXT. It hit me right in the feel spot. So BC and Nick both put me over today, and I'm going to take advantage of that by giving you two feel spots. The first one is the best one. Ric Flair releases a video message either from the hospital or from a rehab facility saying he's feeling much better, saying he's going to be coming back soon. And what is he wearing in that video? (laughs) A shirt that says... I'm not dead yet, mother effers. I mean, perfect. Ric Flair, love you, man. Woo for you, and hope you get better soon. The other feel spot, the actual wrestling weekly feel spot, the what I expected to be terrible, but ended up being incredible. Nakamura, Randy Orton match. See, We didn't get to talk about it today. It was a full show. See it if you didn't get the opportunity. Orton was great. Nakamura was great. And we have a new number one contender for that title, WWE title, and it is Nakamura. And Adam, that was the best match either of those guys have put out in like six to eight months. months. Like, I was yeah. popping. It's like, you know what that reminded you of? Both of those guys had really bad matches with Jinder Mahal. They had a really good match together. Maybe that should be the feud right now. You know, I'm not an expert here. What's the common denominator in there? Jinder Mahal. I, I, I Listen, one of my feel spots, I love the fact that they put Jinder with the Singh brothers in their skybox to watch these big matches. I don't know why, but something about that just really cracks me up, and I think uh, it's really funny. What's also really funny is that Shinsuke Nakamura in the past four to six weeks, whatever it is, has gone over John Cena clean and Randy Orton clean, and in between has jobbed to Jinder Mahal, which <laughs> makes absolutely no sense, of course, but that's... WWE sometimes for you. And it was a good match. Nakamura wins clean. We'll get Nakamura versus Jinder at hell in a cell. Maybe the great Kali will make an appearance in that match like he did at the Punjabi prison um, cluster. You know what? A couple of months ago, my feel spot for this week also emanating 
from the blue brand, SmackDown Live. Now, I laughed at the beginning when Carmella and Natalia have their match. Ellsworth goes to cash in the briefcase somehow during the match. The schmuck think that's, thinks that's a good idea. And Carmella flips out afterwards and runs him down with a post-match promo, really saying some nasty stuff that gets the crowd to ooh and ah. Of course, Ellsworth, you know, like the love-sick puppy, like um, really just wants Carmella's affection and favor, and he finds her later on and says, you know what, all the things you said are right. I just want you to give me another chance. And Carmella plants one on his lips. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, what's <laughs> going on here? And then pulls away. Ellsworth gets that smile, and he's in shock. And Carmella's face goes from a smile to stone cold serious. And she smacks the yellow out of his teeth right after giving him a kiss and then turns around and walks away from James Ellsworth, Ellsworth leaving him there, which I feel like was a microcosm of male female relations. Because honestly, what guy among us, the three of us here doing the show, you listening right now, haven't have, have not had a situation where a woman has said one thing and done another and leaving you being like, what the hell's going on? I can't read this woman for anything. Carmella kisses Ellsworth, then with the smack in the face. I was laughing hysterically after that ended. I thought that was really, Brian, really terrific. Oh, yeah. By the way, she calls him a charity case, and she says your mother should have given you away at birth. About three minutes before they throw to a Connor's Cure package of children <laughs> at a hospital. Like, I, like it hurts me to even, like, laugh about that. That was sort of poor planning, but I popped massive for everything you said about Carmella's worth. I'm down. I'm in. I'm out. All of that. I'm, I'm all around it. Brian, what else do fans have to look forward coming up this week on on the uh, In This Corner podcast? Uh, check out our MMA edition with the great King Mo Lawal as we preview UFC 215 and hit all your headlines, including King Mo's take on Ronda Rousey jumping from MMA to potentially here WWE. And che- look, be on the lookout later this week for our bonus pod, like we mentioned, from the WWE 2K18 red carpet ahead of SummerSlam. All the big names. You're going to hear from them. You're going to hear from us. And I just want to just um, dance on the way out. It's the best song, Nick. It's the best song, Nick. It's okay. I mean, I'm getting, uh, that's, the, that's the way I want to go out every week right there, all right? All right, so I think we can do that, and let's go out just like that. For the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am handsome Nick Costos, Brian Campbell. Two words. We out. <laughs>